Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner and our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all the father figures out there are looking daddy material this June. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here is no dad joke. Treat him and yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off of free shipping with the code at checkout spurs 20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, his dad bod will thank you. Inside this package, he'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold his goodies. Dad's Buy this for yourself. Sons, buy this for you and your dad. Ladies, buy this for your man. And dog daddies, you deserve this treat too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code at checkout, SPURS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SPURS20 at checkout. Shake what your mama gave you? Nah, shake what your daddy gave you. Hello, it's Mike Lee here. We have today for your delectation a lovely recent interview with Steve Perriman in conversation with fellow Spurs fan Danny Goldman of the Here Comes Sports Pod discussing his early days at the club. Next week, we then start Series 2 of our close season show, Top 10 Tottenham, when well-known Spurs fans and regular guests on the Spurs show discuss their favourite Tottenham moments replete with archive clips. Enough of my yakking. Over to you, Danny and Steve. Come on, you Spurs. They say you shouldn't meet your heroes, 
because it will only lead to disappointment. Well, I decided to test that theory when I sat down with one of my boyhood heroes, Steve Perriman. Over a 19-year career at Tottenham Hotspur, he made a club record 866 first-team appearances and captained the team to FA Cup glory. I watched him play for the team in the late 1970s and early 1980s, and we focused our discussion on that period. But we kicked off with Steve sharing thoughts on his early years as an apprentice professional. And that just leads me to say, I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did chatting with Steve and recording it. Hi, Steve. So how how tough was it to come through the ranks and make it as a pro in this era? There's a pressure of trying to improve every day to make it, make it to the next level. So you, I signed as an apprentice professional, which is a three-year apprenticeship. Um, they can decide to sign you after two, which they did. So there's the first step sign pro and um, you know basically what they're saying is when they sign your pro is we trust you so far it's only the first step but so far we trust you so you get into the professional ranks you are a professional footballer and you want to buy a car because uh, I was traveling as an apprentice I was traveling four hours per day two hours there two hours back on the train that's a pressure that is a pressure for a 15 year old having just left school and you're in this very physically demanding job. You've now got four hours, two hours to get there, two hours to get back. And the amount of times I fell asleep on the train was amazing. And it's a never ending day. I, well, I got in the first team when I was 17. So that seems like a steep rise from leaving school to get in the first team and it was not normal um i missed about i had six months interruption with a bad back and not that not that my back was weak but you know you, you your weakest part gives way that was my back that was all the traveling all the training all the working all the sweeping the gyms all the cleaning the boots all stuff that you need to do but i'm telling you you know after about after about three or four months of this, you're thinking, what have I done? What have I done? So it seems glamorous. The glamour wears off in about five minutes. Because I played for England schoolboys, there was a pressure from the other players because of that. Would I say it was bullying? Not really, but it wasn't comfortable. They think that all England schoolboys come in as the big I am. I'm going to make it. You are not. You're not as good as me. Well, that certainly is not my character. But they're going to make their point to you. And uh, everything for the first six months is a struggle. And then all of a sudden they bring in younger players underneath you. It all becomes a bit easier. Life opens up a bit. You are now pushing on actually out of the youth team into the A team. It was a very tough love school from the manager and his coaches. They were all handpicked. You weren't allowed to show any weakness. That's what I mean. If you were injured, it was a weakness. Very few well-dones. Very, very few well-dones. 
if they didn't talk to you, that was almost that you've played well. You've got to remember Bill Nicholson and Eddie Bailey and their staff had come through a very tough school themselves. You know, they'd been through the war years and food rationing and no heating in the houses, et cetera, et cetera. And they were a get-on-with-it society. So, you know, we all think about young people who are a bit weaker than we were, and they thought the same. So let me just tell you about one incident where I played this game early evening and played on the top pitch at Cheson uh, for the A-team. This now is coming to the end of the season. And I walked off in the corner at the end. I thought I'd done okay. And Eddie Bailey says, so Eddie Bailey was the famous push and run master, one touch, 50-51 team. He said, Perryman, come here. So I walk over to him. He said, someone tells me that in that dressing room in there, there's a list up on the board of people that, players that may go to America and Canada with the first team in the summer. And someone tells me that your name is on the bottom of that list. I don't quite believe it, but did you write it up there? Did you write your name on that list? Basically, what they're saying is, let's take away, I'll interpret what he's saying. Steve, you've had a good season. The manager likes you, trusts you. He wants to have a look at you in the first team, see how your discipline is on a, on a trip away and in hotels and eating in restaurants and timekeeping and all that stuff. Um, so he wants to have a look at you. So well done. They just couldn't say it. So they never let you relax. And it actually was a great environment for me to learn. I'm disciplined. I'm consistent as a character. I'm trustworthy as a character. And therefore, these are all the things that they look for in their young players that are growing up able to cope with playing in the first team. But in terms of stress, I hear lots now about anguish and anxiety and stress. I could have folded at any stage. Why didn't I? Because it was not the thing to do. <laughs> I didn't know anyone who, who sort of faltered in a career at the famous Tottenham Hotspur who couldn't handle it. So uh, you got on with it. You toughened up. And you were, by the time you got in the first team, a great judge like Bill Nicholson, aided by Eddie Bailey, decided you were good enough to handle it. They actually prepared you. You know, we're talking now about the, the current teams getting a bit of abuse from the crowds and the crowd is showing their displeasure and anger, whatever. This was water off a duck's back to us because that's what we had to cope with every day from other players, from the staff. And there's a nice side to this as well. You come out onto the high road, say after a training day or before a training day, but say you're coming out after and you turn left to uh, a cafe, Tony's Cafe on the left, or turn right, there's Dole's Cafe that was called something else, but Dole was the lady, uh, just about three or four shops along on the right. And there would be the ground staff in there, the people that swept up and repaired what needed repairing and, and that stuff down-to-earth, proper people, proper North Londoners that had seen great players win the double and probably saw the push-and-run team and all this. So they weren't easily impressed. And I'd be queuing up for a cup of tea with my mate Phil Holder. And they could well say, be it I'm in the first team or not, just the reserves, or they would say, 
are you ever going to have a shot, Steve? And, you know, this was just the sort of the North London way of they liked me, they knew I could handle it. I would say, well, if I pass it, the, the other player must have been in a better position to score than me. Yeah, but you always you always pass it. You never shoot. You never shoot. What start shooting, will you? So they all had an opinion, and I really love the opinion of the North London people. And I say that as a West Londoner who didn't support Tottenham, but joined a club because of Bill Nicholson. But I loved their opinion. And I probably within a week of joining Tottenham Hotspur, I was a fully entrenched supporter, but that's the wrong word because I'm a player. But but I'm a fan of that club and what it stands for and what it stood for before. And I'm I'm very prepared to carry on the baton. Did you have to start planning for life outside of the game? whilst you were in the game was that an important thing to think about you never thought about not making it wrongly so you never thought about an injury finishing your career which is a bit stupid because it was happening all around us not only at our club but other clubs remember the medical profession has moved on in all sorts of ways so I think the that bad year of Jimmy Pierce Peter Collins Roger Morgan, all finished with injuries that would not finish it 10 years later, for instance. So how sad is that? How unlucky is that? Let me tell you how Bill Nicholson treated the um, the injuries. So five teams playing on a Saturday. Everyone was off on Sunday. Monday morning, you'd go in. The doctor was there on Monday mornings and Friday mornings. How are you after playing? Can you play the next one? Before beds, there'd probably be about 10 injuries, some worse than others. If you were really bad, you was in hospital. So muscle strains, etc. Bill Nicholson would walk in absolutely immaculate with his crease in his trousers, with his parting in his hair, with the shine on his shoes, with, with his look. I'm not saying expensively dressed, but just on the mark. And he'd look at the four beds and there'd be others stood because there were more than four people. And he'd just look and his face would go from one bed to the next, to the next, to the next. Wouldn't say a word. <sighs> Big sigh and walk out. No, how are you? No, is it improving? Is that fat ankle, you know, lessening? Is it, is it coming down? No, no care. Basically what he was saying was, I've now got to go and concentrate on the players that are going to get our next result. <laughs> and while you're injured in this room, it's not you. <laughs> so I'm not going to waste any time on you with little small talk or whatever. It encouraged you to get fit quicker. <laughs> anyway, to your point, stupidly, you didn't think about your career finishing early. You were so delighted to be a professional football player that you didn't put obstacles in your own way, even if they could have been put there by someone else. And I suppose that's that's being a, a confidence or a or a desire or a purpose. I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna make it. You couldn't say that to anyone because they'd knock you down. But 
that's basically your mentality. I'm going to get there. And I'm judging the players alongside me all the time. Terry Venables is in the first team in midfield. I, I think they used to play 4-2-4 when I first got there. Um, and I'm looking at him thinking, could I do what he does? Probably not yet, but I'll probably cover more ground. Mallory was in the team, so hmm, oh, not really, not ready to take him on. So, um, and of course they won the cup in 67 and I joined then and there was like a shine about the club and there was a, the first team sort of ruled the roost. So obviously didn't prepare school wise enough because I left, but what I did do, and this is the, the, where luck comes involved. I'm the youngest of three boys, two older brothers. I could not have wished for two better brothers. So I was sport driven by them. I wanted to hang on to their coattails. And um, that sort of led me to live in a decent life, not luxury. My dad was a Coleman. My mum was a mum who, if she if she worked, she did um, like a night, an evening shift at Lion's Maid in Greenford there, um, ice creams and whatever, chocolate and all that stuff. Um, as I say, my dad was a cold delivery man. So it wasn't, it wasn't a nice, it wasn't a great lifestyle, but we didn't want for anything either. And um, these two brothers, Ted, the oldest one, went to university. He was the only one of our family that had gone to university. Bill probably had three jobs, having left school after the fifth year. So he did the extra year, didn't want to go to university. Um, and we decided in the end, because now I've got into the first team and we'd start, I'm starting to play at Wembley, League Cup final, um, that the, the sports shops near where we lived were not really for us. They, they didn't stock the right stuff. And we decided that with my name and Bill's work and effort, that we would start a sports shop in a very small way and ended up being, you know, we, had, we, we had our sports shops for 30 years. So in a way, that was me preparing for the future without me really thinking it was. So, um, yeah, it was sort of everyone was in the right place at the right time to go and do that. So, um, but it's a good question because, you know, now players get a lot of money before they actually do anything. And even if then they don't make it, they've got something behind them. They've definitely got a house behind them. They've definitely got a new car behind them. And, um, you know, you, uh, my in my era, you didn't get those things until you played at least 250 games. Around about this time, you started to get the first non-English players coming in to the top flight. Spurs have been really in the forefront of that by bringing in uh, Ozzy and Ricky. What happened was that we we weren't signing the right players, therefore we got relegated. We lost those three players that I mentioned and you mentioned earlier on through injury. Um, although people may not have really known those names so much, three or four years on, you're missing three top 11 players. That's a third of your team now on. Bill Nick was getting old and uh, we weren't signing the right calibre of players and all the, all the problems come on us once. For instance, the, 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 the club weren't going to pay black money. Clubs started to take shortcuts on signing the best players. Tottenham were not going to take those shortcuts and maybe that's right because 
that was within the rules. So in the end, I think Keith went and signed the Argentinians out of sort of a desperation of not being able to get value for money. Well, he certainly got value for money with our dealers and Villa. And we all we all saw Aussie in the World Cup and, you know, what, what a player. What a player. He poked you in the eye with his ability and his, his purpose and his... His, his balance, etc. And okay, we didn't know too much about Ricky, but if you thought England's going to be too tough, because that's what the press tried to say about Aussie, you wait till it gets on a Tuesday night up in Stoke, or, or Swansea, for instance, Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith would whack him and he'll want to go home. Well, he was made of much tougher stuff than that. And the Argentinians are made of tough stuff. Aussie was Aussie was very tough mentally. Ricky was more, don't say that. Don't speak to me like that, <laughs> which is, okay. So we're all different. And uh, so Ricky was very much up and down in his game and his his temperament and, and personality. So, um, but anyway, the better they did, the more clubs were going to take a chance on signing foreign players. And it's not an easy thing to do because you need backup. You need staff. You need someone to take a phone call at night when Aussie, for instance, is phoning saying, you know, there's water dripping out the ceiling. Someone's got to go and fix it and help me get the kids into school and all of this stuff. So don't just sign them. You then got to service the signing. And uh, I'm actually very impressed how Tottenham did it with those two. And enough to say that Aussie has stayed on and lives in England now because of the way he's been treated from day one. Ricky was always going to, when he finished his football career, was always going to go back to Argentina. And Aussie used to point out to me, say we were, we were in Japan in a tournament. Aussie would point out to me that Ricky has bought those two vases and they're going to go home. They're not going to England. They're going to Argentina. And uh, so, I mean, we're all different characters and there's nothing wrong with that. Ricky, he's got a great life in Argentina and deserves it. If I said to you in 1980 that a, a third, maybe 40% of, of players in the top flight of English football were going to be non-British. I would have been surprised, not shocked. I would have been surprised that it was so many. I think sometimes... What did Sugar call him? Carlos Kickable. Sometimes managers' influences at a club want to sign the sexy name. And in a way, I I actually fight against it because I, I'm a true believer the fact that I came through and developed at a top club that didn't normally produce players. I'm a fan of homegrown players. I think part of the fact that you're homegrown allows you to know what the crowd expect of that team. The best player, best technical player I've ever played with, Glenn Hoddle, homegrown. The best player I've played against, George Best. You know, I checked it out, the, the 66 team, World Cup winners. I think there was nine or maybe 10 of them were at their first club they started with. So I say to people, don't undersell, don't undervalue homegrown players. Now, Harry Kane, probably going to get the goal-scoring record one day, homegrown. You think you have to go and spend millions on a striker? Well, there's one there. Sometimes the more you know about a player means that you you know 
too many weaknesses. So you don't take the chance. I always tell the story that Chrissy Hutton on Friday, we finished the training and it wasn't relevant training because we had so many injuries. And at the end of training, Keith asked me to his office and he said, who are we going to play left back? I said, Keith, that's not even a question. There's only one player left. He said, but that's Chrissy Hutton. I said, yeah, but he's not ready. <laughs> Keith, don't matter whether it's ready or not. You've got to put 11 players out there and he's your 11th. Yeah, but he's a right back. Okay, Keith, I'll play left back. Let Chrissy play right back. No, 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 I'm not breaking up your link with Glenn. No, no. Anyway, he plays Chris, Chris Hewton. Chris Hewton never came out of the team since after that. He got his chance by circumstance. No one said that kid is good enough to play, not only play, get in and he'll never come out. No one said that. But what I tell you is about homegrown players, that when you get put on the stage, no one can tell me that they can guarantee what that crowd does to that player. Did I tackle before I got in the first team? Not really. Was I aggressive? Yes. A passer, et cetera, et cetera. But when I put my foot into the ball in front of 40,000 people at White Art Lane, they treated me like I'd scored a goal. And what they're saying is we like that. We want some more of that. And you've got to be very stupid if you don't keep giving them that which they've just shown you they like. So never undersell the homegrown player. Give them a chance when you can. Sometimes it's forced on you. Don't be embarrassed to give a homegrown a, 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 a leg up or, or a chance. And um, you'll get a nice surprise. If you look at the team that won the 84 UEFA Cup, Clements was injured, Hoddle was injured, I was suspended. Aussie was really injured, but had to sit on the bench for numbers. But Tony Parks in goal, Paul Miller. I always say that Roberts and Galvin were homegrown because we signed them from non-league. And although they'd shown something, it's it's the, the grounding that they had, very quick grounding they had, that, that sort of give them the last leg up. Ali Dick, Falco, Mickey Hazard. That was a victory for homegrown talent. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of homegrown players. So, in 1981, you lifted the um, FA Cup, which was um, the first silverware after Spurs were promoted in 78. And in that season, that 81 season, Aston Villa won the league. And, in fact, three years earlier, Nottingham Forest had come up from the second division and, and actually won the league the following season. So it may be in that period, the 1980s, I mean, I know Leicester was a recent story, but it felt like silverware was spread around a little bit more. Yes. Um, is that fair? Did you think you could win the league? Or, or, or were Liverpool in particular so dominant at that time that it felt um, almost an impossibility? I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of my time, spare time in Scandinavia. And I meet Scandinavians and when they're talking to me, I say, how old are you? And if they're around about 10 years old in early 80s, they're a Spurs supporter because of Ricky Villa's goal, because of the cup final, the, the event, the, the, you know, the nonsense of the FA Cup draws people in. A certain age group would be Leeds supporters. A certain age group would be Liverpool supporters. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't involved in an office counting the money, but... 
it seems like there wasn't so much difference between the clubs, say the clubs in the top league. And if you came up from Division Two, it wasn't such a big step to to match what was going on there already. Of course, you will judge yourself by Liverpool. Um, that that's the team I remember uh, as being all powerful. Of course, I got when I got in Leeds were were dominant, but um, I think that's a very healthy situation for the game when winning gets shared out, and it's not all about money. And I think the way the game's going, and and let's be honest, the rules, you know, when they tried to make that Super League, that was all about money. When you can enter the Champions League, but you don't make it to that next round, you go into the Europa League, that's about money. It's the big clubs dominating the rules so that they don't lose their dominance. And I suppose it's a fact of life, really, but but um, certainly not as fair as it was in my day. And how good were that Liverpool team of the 70s and early 80s? Uh, I think they had a plan. They had a purpose. They were together. They were tight. I'll tell you a story. We went to um, we went to Swaziland one year with uh, Man United. And we played three games. End of the season, sort of a jolly up. And the, the 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 bonus of it all was you're invited back next year to play Liverpool. And I actually travelled. I don't know why this was, but I travelled out with Liverpool rather than Tottenham on their plane. They they had just won the European Cup. So they went out two or three days after us. I saw them in action on the plane and they were 100% together. And it said to me about, you know, I thought we were a good team and I thought we were together. but we were not as together as what I witnessed. They would take you on for ability. They would take you on for fitness. They would take you on for togetherness. They'll take you on for organisation. And yet I doubt they would have the best player that I ever played with, Glenn Huddle. I doubt they'd have had Glenn in their team. But they had Suness, who um, was at Spurs. I mean, that's the great irony, isn't it? Well, the irony is that Suness at Tottenham was a flair player. He got he got sent off in the FA Youth Cup final. And people would say, oh, Suness, he's, he's got into someone. No, they were kicking him. They were trying to put him out of the game. And he retaliated and got sent off. Graham Suness was a very, very good player. And he was a particular test for the system that I told you I came through. You had to prove to Bill Nicholson that you deserve to play in that team. You deserve that white shirt, that you would kill for that white shirt, that you, when you got it, you weren't going to give it away lightly. Graham kept running home. That is not going to go down with Bill Nicholson. <laughs> and I think that Graham actually uh, is sorry for that. And I've never spoke to Bill Nicholson about it, but he must be sorry the way that Graham turned out. So um, a huge talent, huge, huge talent. But it it wasn't the way that we felt about him at the end of his career because he was the consistent, consistent, consistent passer, mover of the ball. Obviously, uh, he tells a story of about his third game. Well, first of all, he told me that uh, first week's training, he, he arrived on the Tuesday, trained, 
no real instruction to him. Wednesday was off and he was told to go out and get pissed with the, with the other team, with the teammates. Thursday trained, no more instruction, any more instruction. Friday was a sort of almost worth, not worth being there. Saturday, he said, I've said to the coach, how do you want me to play? What did you say? What? <laughs> no one's told me anything. <laughs> how do you want me to play? Boss, come here. Come here. Ask him. He's asking me how, what we, how we want him to play. Do you know what we've just paid for you? We don't tell you what to do. You just join in with the others, go along with it, be part of them, and you'll be fine. <laughs> okay, last question. If you had a magic lamp with a genie inside and the genie offered you the chance to be a player now, but have the career longevity, everything else that you had, so, you know, the mindset, all of those things, but you could do it now instead of then, would you take it or would you just stay as, as it was? I'll change the question. Would I prefer to play in the era that I played or this era? 100% the previous era, my era. I think the game was more genuine. There were more men involved. People weren't rolling about on the floor. So it was more manly. Uh, there was more tough talk, which was encouraged by your leaders to sort out problems. Um, you didn't talk through your agent to anyone, not to the manager, not to the press, not to your teammate. <laughs> you talk direct. But if I'd have had to play in this era, I would have coped. I would have I would have swum along with it and then worked it out for myself. Okay, don't get involved with that. Yeah, this is me. The situation you got in front of you, you deal with it. And I'm proud to say that I dealt with the era that I had and I, I would have been able to deal with this era. I wouldn't have liked the, uh, the social media bit. I like respect. I love respect. I like be, being respected, be it from Tottenham Hotspur or the supporters or football in general. So the answer to the question is I could have coped with both. I only know that I could cope with my era, so it'll never be known whether I could cope with this one, but I, I guarantee you I could have done. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.